welcome to episode six of Classical Voice Canada, where we meet artists and discuss classical voice together. I'm your host, Kira Braun, and I'm so very glad you've joined us today. Today's guest is soprano Yanelle Sills. Yanelle comes to us from Toronto and is a recent graduate of the Glenn Gould Studio. Hello, Yanelle. How are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? Nice to be here. Oh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And it's wonderful to have you on Classical Voice Canada. You're one of the most exciting young artists today. And uh, I've been looking forward to speaking to you for a couple of weeks now. I first met you in a production of Sor Angelica with Ashra <laughs> Opera. I think it's been five years. Wow. And yeah, you were still in school then. So it's been a, a whirlwind for you since then, I'm sure. Mm. I know that uh, you've recently completed your artist diploma program at the Glenn Gould School. Yeah, I did. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your voice education. For sure. The production that we were in together was definitely a big um, education. That was the very first opera that I was in. Oh, wow. So that was very exciting. And it was my first time, especially in a Puccini opera and just experiencing Puccini. That was my very first experience. So I learned so much. And Natalia was singing Swangelica. And I remember right. soaking in every note that left her mouth because she's a queen <laughs> and we know this already. <laughs> yes. I was just like, whoa, look at the potential of what Puccini offers and gives his sopranos. So mm-hmm. that was definitely a big part of my learning. So I went to York University and I did my undergrad there. And that's where I guess I got the opera bug as they Uh like to call it and are just even introduced to opera really and I was studying with Stephanie Bogle Canadian soprano and through her training and her ear she kind of geared me to a lot of operatic repertoire and very wisely never giving me anything too crazy but always (laughs) kind of just putting little ideas in my head of like Mm -hmm. what I could what I could obtain with like obviously we all know years of work until the day you die (laughs) years of work and she is a teacher at the Glenn Gould School and she told me in my first year at York when I went to York I had no idea what the conservatory was or no idea what the Glenn Gould School was and she's like I teach at this school and I think this could be something that you could achieve if you continue to work hard and I was like okay sure (laughs) still very clueless and to to much about the operatic world and the techniques but she was just such a guiding light and a very much the foundation of my singing at York and at the Glenn Gould School and then just all all of the women at York University Catherine Robin Dr. Lizette Canton, uh, Norma Burroughs, Rice Nachmanovich, so many amazing Canadian musicians that really whipped us into shape. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yes. <just> made us <laughs> professionals. And, you know, and we were just so eager to learn, my colleagues and I, in my year. And yeah, I'm forever indebted to them, to how much they gave to us and really poured into who I am still yeah. as a musician and professional. What was it about Stephanie's style of teaching that uh, helped you the most? Oh, I would say she's so fervent and energetic, which is, I feel like what uh, any opera singer needs to be. She's still popping out high E's. It's not even an issue (laughs) in her lesson. So I was just always amazed by that and how a good foundation of your training can allow you to sing these crazy notes even in (laughs) your 
you know, when you, when you're retired, you know? Oh, I know. Uh, so definitely that. And then also going to the Glenn Gould school was a really great opportunity for me to continue to, to learn. And I feel that they were just great places, especially York to fail because <laughs> there was a lot of failure, you know, <laughs> in terms of testing out technique and, um, going in front of an audience, you know, the transition yeah. from the practice room to the stage. And there's yeah. more opportunity for the stage at Glenn Gould, right? So mm-hmm. you get your academic foundation at York University, and then it's a great idea to move on to the Glenn Gould studio and, yeah. and learn from there. Exactly. And even at York too, sorry, I just love York going on. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine would have these little concerts once a month. It was just us and like yes. whoever came and have Aria with me or yeah. just like Friday and we'd sing songs or um, Arias. And definitely at York and at the Glenn Gould School with a lot of master classes, they're always being kind of thrown on stage. <laughs> so <laughs> what yeah. year did you graduate from York then? I graduated from York in 2016. Oh, so I missed you by one year. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Darn it. (laughs) Yeah, I was so close. Yeah. So in your journey, what was it that you recall the most fondly as you progressed as a musician and a performer? Is there something that sticks in your mind that you might want to share with us? Hmm. How that progression went? What did you recognize about yourself as an artist? Yeah, I would say that. I think, I mean, still progressing. I think there's, um, like with anything, especially as singers, we know our voice is kind of like another entity. It's us, but it's also our friend, our lover, our enemy. (laughs) So I think in that relationship still, even till today, learning how to trust my voice and to believe that like when I, when I open it and I, you know, do what I'm doing and training to do that I can let it go. It feels scary to do that even still, but I would say probably definitely my time at York when I was really, you know, trying to figure out what was under my feet and pushing through in the practice room or questioning my my potential. I remember even thinking, I'm like, potential is such a tease. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you have something, but you don't really have it. It's always yeah. just yeah. right there yeah. ahead it's of always you. always like, <laughs> but you never get it, which I guess is what makes it exciting. That, that is so true about trusting your voice because the minute you make it your enemy, it won't be there mm-hmm. when you need it. And yeah. when you trust your voice, I think you grow as a person too, because you realize mm-hmm. it's all part of you. So yeah. You have to love yourself and trust yourself to get that voice out there. Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. That's so very true. What advice would you give a young singer who's just about to start that journey? Yeah, definitely the trust and just take your time, but don't waste your time. I think, yeah, that's, that's it. Take your time. Don't waste your time because it's not going to happen overnight. Yes. <laughs> You're not going to understand how to use your diaphragm in 10 days. <laughs> it's not a thing. Yeah, it just takes time, especially if you're just starting out. You're literally training so many muscles that you can't even see, sometimes can't even feel. But you're really pulling them slowly, stretching them slowly. And sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing that. You're practicing and trying to do the things your teachers and coaches are instructing you. But you just have to trust yourself and it's things are going to take time. For me, a big struggle was my breath support and really trusting that and trusting my breath. And it was the long phrases that we aspire to sing. It just takes time. You just got to keep going and trust yourself. For example, 
I used to sing Song to the Moon a lot in my undergrad in my fourth year. Some of those phrases were just harder for me to sing. And then I picked it up two weeks ago and I was like, oh, look, it's not so hard, <laughs> you know? And uh, and I just, I just really believe that because I continue to literally stretch yourself in a healthy way that my muscles have just been able to accommodate and allow my you know, lungs to open up more and my ribs to, yeah. to um, kind of suspend as our teachers always tell us to do. It just takes time and that can be confusing, especially in a instant world. We turn on a computer, it happens in five seconds. Yeah. We go where we need to go. We drive, we take an Uber. Everything is very fast. Right but yeah. yeah, that's not the same with um, operatic and classical training. No. Aside from Stephanie Bogle, have you got a coach that you've worked with that you also really love? You know, you get those relationships over time, right? You you love that person. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty blessed. At York, I, I worked with Raisa a lot. And she really, another person who like whipped me into shape and kind of, just like, <laughs> you know, snapped me into reality. Yes. <laughs> it's like really taught me how to work hard and to like also aspire for a lot of things. During the summers over the last couple of years, whether I've been doing summer programs, I would work with uh, Doreen Simmons a lot and oh. just like kind of run roles and like, hey, Doreen, can I run a role with you? I just want to, before I go to rehearsal, I, for me, I personally just like to run through the whole opera to make sure I'm super confident in what I'm doing. Can I run Bohem with you? <laughs> Last like summer too. Thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bohem or like the Rape of Lucretia, which was like one of the first lo- long roles that I had. I was like, can I just do this and know that I can do it before I go into like a room? And then most recently, Rachel Andrus, when I was at GGS and then mm-hmm. after, honestly, all these strong women who are just, ah. what I value is honesty. <laughs> I want to go to you and I want you to tell me that I'm bad and how I can get better. Maybe bad is not the best yeah. word, but yeah. I don't want someone to be like, oh, you're so beautiful. I didn't go there <laughs> for that. I was like, okay, tell me about my, my ah vowel. Yes, <laughs> tell yes. me about addiction. And I really trust those, those, those women because they're always honest with me. Oh, those three ladies will give you the straight goods. Yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> Doreen is a force of nature. Uh, yes. she's incredible. I don't know how she's she's still playing the piano so beautifully. I was with her last summer and she was playing Puccini yeah, like yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> What's the one thing about your vocal delivery or performance that you've had a breakthrough in that was really exciting for you? I, mean, I guess I haven't performed in a while, but I would say that I think maybe like the confidence kind of thing and, and the trust. We obviously haven't been able to do live performances in a, in a while. No. But I did a Zoom kind of concert with uh, Against the Grain and Artery. And I'm currently studying with uh, Frederic Brezina. Oh. And she's like, just have some fun. <laughs> just relax. <laughs> Which is something, you know, I'm, you're always in your head trying to work out all the cranks and stuff. Yeah. But I think I had a lot of fun. And I was singing Rosalinda, which is a lot of fun. Chardash. So I think that was a breakthrough. And then also, I feel like since I came into this industry or in this this field of study, not knowing very much, I often questioned if I was good enough or if I had the potential. And like, even till today, people are like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm an opera singer. I say it as a question instead yes. of a question. And I was talking to them like, oh, like, why do you say that as a question? And then we were just talking about it. And he was like, you know what? I have potential, you know, I, I am a good singer. And I have to work a lot, very hard, like all of us do, but just realizing that 
what I have is good and valuable and always room for growth, not, not with arrogance because that doesn't get you anywhere. But no. I think that's a breakthrough. I work hard and the things that I've gotten have not been because of luck. It's because I've worked hard and I'm good. That is very evident to me, just looking at your website and and knowing where you've come from in, in five short years and where you've gotten to. Incredible. I know that you work very, very hard. Thank you. <laughs> you know, a lot of singers work in the church and they do that just to make a living. It's something extra. We go and sing a gig in church or some of us are section leads, but mm-hmm. something tells me that When you lift your voice, it's with a greater purpose. And that is something you find a great foundation in. Did you grow up in the church and find your first love of music there? Yeah, I love that word foundation. I did grow up in the church and I I still attend church. I don't work in a church as a a section lead, but yes, I did grow up in the church. And my faith is the foundation (laughs) of why I'm doing what I'm doing, I believe, and And I feel like it really helps. And I think it's essential for everyone to have a foundation that's outside of themselves. For me, it's my relationship with God. And I know that's not everybody, but I really feel that it helps us to, because it can be so all-consuming. And and Mm -hmm. as you know, it can be all about yourself. You're being healthy. You want to protect your voice. And that is so valid. But I think when we have something or I don't know, someone or something that is outside of, I guess, the industry of what we do, it grounds us in my relationship with God. And like Jesus Christ is like the foundation of why I keep going. I'm like, hey, God, like I could have been a mathematician. I could have been like a, a space engineer, but you like gave me this, this, um, this gift, I believe. So I was like, okay, all I can do is try to be better than I was yesterday and just do what you want to do with it, which in a way takes off a lot of pressure because in the Bible, it says like faith without works is dead. Okay, God, here's my faith. I believe that these are things I could potentially do. Let me work. And whatever happens, happens. And then whatever doesn't happen is okay. Because in my life, everywhere that I've been is like where I've needed to be. And all the doors that have been closed, it's like been okay. (laughs) For for a reason. Yeah. 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 Been for a reason. So yeah, definitely the foundation. And I'm, I'm grateful that I've um, grown up in that foundation. And I, I still am in a community with my church that I've been able to go to my whole life. So that's a blessing, I think. That's really beautiful that you got your gift from God and that you're sharing it with all of us. I bet you that it really must help you find the conviction to relay the emotion in a lot of the material that you have to sing. We all have to dig deep when we're trying to convey an emotion or a character. But when you're singing a religious work in particular, that must really be helpful to you yeah. and to, to anyone who truly believes. And I, I, I think that it must be harder for singers who don't believe to actually sing those works with conviction. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but it definitely makes, when I was at York, we sang uh, St. John Passion. And I was just like, wow, this music is so beautiful. Whether you believe it or not, like Jesus Christ has given us a lot of beautiful music (laughs) and that story. Is there anything vocally that you struggle with or that you want to overcome? I know that for myself, I once in a while, I reach out to my teacher and I say, you know, I just can't get through this piece. I'm stuck on this one spot. Or by the time I get here, my voice is tired. Is there anything like that that you faced? Yes, always. 
Honestly, every time I learn something new, there's always something. I'm still always checking in with my teachers and my coaches, and I and I feel that's essential for me. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, with the internet, we have the privilege and to still be able yeah. to do that. We're not just like thrown across the pond, and our teachers are like, yeah. "Good luck." <laughs> you know, they still kind of do that, but you're able to be like, "Hey, I'm kind of feeling stuck," or it's just like hard. I don't know. I'm not doing something as productively as I think I should be. I think the the thing that I have the least amount of experience with is singing coloratura. So that's been something that I've been working on during this time. And I've been singing the Come Scolio or the longest passage of coloratura. And I've been like slowly hacking at that phrase. It's only like, I don't know, eight bars or something. I think my, my, my brain and my vocal cords don't know how to navigate that as yet. But I feel that it's definitely getting better and um been taking my time, you know, sing it, put it away, sing it, put away, learn, learn the rest of it, learn the end of the aria, learn the middle of the aria. And I've been doing that like on and off for the last couple of months. And I feel like today I was singing in, I'm like, hey, that's better. <laughs> I don't know if anyone wants to pay to hear that, but it's definitely better. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, coloratura is something that a lot of people struggle with because they want to sing it fast right from the very get-go. Yeah. But the whole trick is to take it apart and sing it slowly. And For me, it's like training my mind. My mind is not used to singing that many notes. So I'm just used to like singing long lines, like lady logos and stuff. (laughs) But it's definitely training your mind and just like taking it slowly. And for me, I just have to take it very slowly. And we've had the luxury to have that time. So that's true. So another blessing for you, some time to figure things out. (laughs) Well, we can't wait to hear what you're going to come out of the gates with next with with the coloratura then. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Yadel, your voice has been described as having a pure, rich tone by Joseph So, and a lot of other critics as well. What kind of soprano are you now, though? Uh, right now, I, I'm a lyric soprano mm-hmm. um, with like a lot of like the repertoire that I that I sing. It's like very lyrical, like Mimi and some of like um, like Puccini her- heroines and like looking to the future, some of like the Verdi heroines and all of those th- that like really demand so much from you. And but yeah, I'm a lyric soprano. That's what oh, I am. OK, <laughs> because I've I've heard uh, some of your recordings and they're some of the repertoire that I've heard you sing is in the mezzo repertoire as well. So I wasn't sure if you're, if you consider yourself a a full lyric soprano or a a mezzo in some cases, or whether you're experimenting a little bit. No, I'm I'm a soprano. Yeah. I mean, in my heart sometimes it'd be cool. (laughs) You know, they're usually kind of like heroes or like independent women, but um, no, I'm a soprano. Huh. Okay. Well, now I know you're a soprano. <laughs> yes. In the past two years since you graduated from the Glenn Gould studio, you have shot into the public eye very quickly. You no sooner got your diploma in hand and you had a Dora Award for uh, Against the Grains Copernicus. That was directed by Joel Ivany, right? Yeah, sure. tell, tell us about Joel and your experience with uh, Against the Grain. Yeah, um, against the grain, it's something they love to say and is so true, is definitely a family. That's definitely the experience that I've had from like the very beginning. I guess like a big help and I guess maybe my transition from school 
into um, like a career has definitely been my school, the Glenn Gould School. They, it helped so much. Just like that kind of hub of Toronto, like Glenn Gould and UFT next to each other. People, it makes it very easy for their students because people come to see the shows, you know, like critics and, and managers and and our artistic directors, they come to see the spring yeah. productions of our shows. So that it definitely helps so much. And specifically at the Glenn Gould School, when we're doing a show, they always hire in mm-hmm. a director, a conductor, the the design team, everything is hired in, which is such a, a privilege and definitely helped. And was like the reason that I had some work when I was graduating school was from all of the relationships that oh. I made at the Glenn Gould School. And even to have critics and come write about our shows like Deflator Mouse or Chiquina or Cendrillon, it, it made it so much easier so that when we left school, people already know who we are. Right. Um, so Joel directed my very first show at GGS, the, the fall opera of Cinderella. And then he directed my last show at the Glenn Gould School, Deflator Mouse, and I was singing Rosalinda. Mm-hmm. So through those two shows, it was cool. He was able to see me at the beginning of my, my grad studies and at the end of my grad studies. When I graduated, he said, hey, would you be interested in singing Copernicus? And I was like, okay, let me look at it. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so out of my comfort zone. I don't know <laughs> if I can do this. And then he asked me if I was available. And I like jokingly looked at my schedule. I was so available. My schedule was so empty. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think I can make it work. <laughs> it's like so empty. Um, let me just do this. This is going to be like the hardest music I've ever learned in my life. And it was and still is. But I think sometimes as an emerging or young artist or whatever we want to say, sometimes you have to take those those risks and kind of go out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And um, yeah, and that was like my first like professional um, contract that I had. And Copernicus, I'll never forget it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on all of that. The achievement yeah. there must have been so exciting. Yeah. So you, you just touched a little bit on my next question, the difference between growing up and learning the traditional music, the classical stuff, and then suddenly being thrown into a contemporary work mm-hmm. and even now they're doing new spins on old favorites too. So, so people like against the grain are known for taking an opera like Bohem and modernizing Mm. it. Right. Have you been involved with them on one of those? Yeah. Yeah. Just this past fall, I was uh, singing Mimi in their uh, national tour of La Bohem. So that was, it was so cool to see like Copernicus and Bohem night and day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, it, it definitely makes things exciting. And I think uh, the, the thing about art is that it just has so much uh, diversity and potential. And I think it can be taken there. And it's um, Toronto is really blessed to have a company like Against the Grain Theatre. And so they know that they can always have something or experience something new in a different way. And I think there are so many other people who are following examples like Against the Grain or in Tapestry Mm -hmm. who have been leading the way for decades and have really kind of um, put a fire under our our art form to keep it burning, you know, even though it may seem like very like the fire may be dying out, but people are still thinking of things and and people still want the art form to be alive. And yes, it looks different because we are all different and especially in Canada with so many immigrants and so many different influences. And 
when we want to reach out and engage people of different life experiences, they will bring different ideas. And I think that is um, a good thing and it, it makes it exciting. Yeah. And yeah. we can still have our grand opera with our costumes that we're used to or traditional, and we can still have it like sung in English in a bar right. and still move people. What you've said is exactly right. Toronto has a thriving indie opera scene Mm -hmm. and you've now been part of a couple of those productions and you're also involved with a new initiative, the Opera in Reach group. I want to know all about it. Tell me what your role is with them as a mentor. Yeah, as a mentor, myself and, and my other colleagues, we are currently like developing kind of like branches or things that people can, you know, reach, you know, and kind of gauge or be interested in opera, mini and larger lesson plans, teaching about opera. So one of my things that I was talking about was how opera singers are able to carry their voices or resonate over an orchestra. In my experience, when I've sung for newer audiences, they're like, how are you so loud? You know, yeah, as they yeah. understand as, as loud or or when you tell them that you don't use a mic and that you sing with orchestras, they're like, how does that work? Yeah. So the vision is to kind of make like all those questions and all those things that people wonder about opera accessible and create like mini lesson plans and larger lesson plans. And um, eventually um, as COVID trans- transitions out, going into schools and working in classrooms. And right now we're working on building um, more digital platforms so that we can still access and kind of build relationships with schools and just kind of give the voice to give voice and agency to younger audiences and to maybe people who felt like other or like maybe opera is something that they are not allowed to even consider or even to like be interested in and like our our group has so many different experiences which I think can captivate and, and show people like hey cool that person kind of looks like me or they have I know that experience and so yeah I'm really honored that my my friends have um, asked me to be a part of that because that's definitely a passion and a heart that I have for the next generation (laughs) that's fantastic you said lesson plan and I think that I saw somewhere in a bio of yours that you also teach English as a second language I do That's wonderful. Tell us all about that. Yeah, for sure. When I was at York University, I was doing concurrent education. So I have my teaching degree and I'm a certified teacher. When I graduated from York University and then I went to the Glenn Gould School and then I graduated from Glenn Gould School, I've still been like certified and kept that up. But I just I never felt that it was the right time to to jump into that career of teaching because that's also takes a lot of time. So I was like, let me invest more into my singing because that's also a lot of time and energy. So my sister told me about teaching ESL, English as a second language online. And I was like, oh, I have a lot of experience of doing that when I was at York and even when I was in high school. And then I was like, maybe this would work because it would be flexible if I have a contract or if I have to go somewhere and um, yes. It wouldn't be as of a commitment. So I've been doing that for, for two years. The only thing is you have to wake up really early <laughs> or stay up quite, quite late, but I don't mind doing that. And it's just been a great way for me to make some money or extra money when I, maybe I don't have a contract or if I'm doing a summer program, like this past summer when I was at Banff, I would, <laughs> no one would know because I would take naps. So it's fine. <laughs> I would wake up 
at like 4 a.m. Oh and teach for um, about like two hours, four to six. <laughs> I would teach four to six, then go back to sleep until 8 a.m. and then go to rehearsal and do all of the things that we were doing at Banff. And like, that was a way that while I was at the BAM center to make money, you know, while I was away and it wasn't working either at a restaurant or it's been a good way to, to keep my teaching skills up. Cause I really love teaching. And, um, it, even with opera and reach it's like reignited that passion of like looking through curriculum and speaking with our team and like telling them, Hey, this is how teachers think. And if you want to engage schools, these are the things we need to show the teachers so that it will make it easy for us to go into schools. So that's something that I'm also very passionate about and grateful for the ways that I've been able to still be teaching and engaging in that other area or interest of my life. Yeah. Just listening to you, I feel like I need a nap now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes, I always need a nap. Oh man. During Copernicus. Yeah, during Copernicus, I don't even know why I did this to myself. Sometimes you just do too much. I would wake up, I would teach from like six to to around eight thirty and then book it downtown for rehearsal for ten uh-uh. ten to five and then I would I used to work at a restaurant called Pie, which is an amazing Thai restaurant from five thirty to eleven <laughs> and then go home. Oh, I live in Markham with my family and then commute back to Markham so and then far. do it all over again. I remember one of my colleagues at the restaurant, you know, I was working in the morning and we had a show for Copernicus that evening. He's like don't you need sleep? You know I probably shouldn't be working at the restaurant this morning when I have a show. <laughs> but you just keep going and you don't even really think about it too much. But then when you stop and think, you're like, hey, maybe I should relax. So Yeah, yeah. We push ourselves and then we can go for long stretches doing that and then maybe take a break for a little mm-hmm. while, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's an important lesson for a young yeah. student as well to think about a secondary type of job that will yeah. help to support in the middle of all of the gigs. Because as a musician, the gigging economy is is really tough, and COVID mm-hmm. has been a lesson to all of us yeah. on how are we going to get by if we can't sing, if we can't perform. Mm-hmm. You know, well, teaching is a wonderful thing, and a lot are doing it online, and and you've got sound like you've got the perfect setup yeah I'm grateful yeah that's really good I feel like 2020 has been a revolutionary year Mm -hmm. bringing awareness to the world about inclusivity and the importance of diversity you mentioned diversity just a few minutes ago what's your credo when it comes to all of this as it collides with the world of classical voice and production Hmm. I guess I'm learning my credo every day. And uh, I, it's been a great, especially now with people have been given the agency to, to share their stories and their experiences. Listening has definitely helped me because I know my experience or anytime maybe I felt like, oh, I don't know if this is like right. If I like had an experience with somebody, I'd feel like, okay, let me just be quiet and just like deal with it, you know, uh-huh. myself or talk to my friends and that's been a coping mechanism that maybe other BIPOC people can relate to. But something that's really inspired me is the courage of a lot of my friends to share their experiences or if they think something should be done in, in a more inclusive way or if it was just wrong. I've seen a lot of my friends kind of just call it out. And that's given me some confidence and courage 
to use my voice how I would use it anyways and like mm-hmm. not a like a conflict kind of way but a, just a opening a discussion and maybe asking questions because my teacher heart is is that people would learn and that they would change and for people who feel that they want to yell that's can be related to so much trauma so sometimes I feel like conversation and and just asking questions is is like the best way and it can be scary but when I like see my friends do those things in productive ways it it really inspires me yeah I think it's evolving every day but I think that diversity can be everywhere and and I think just kind of giving people the opportunity specifically in opera to have the choice if they like it or not or if this could be something that they would be interested in I think that's what we can do. I don't think we should make assumptions about groups of people and think that they wouldn't like it. And I've heard those types of things before and I'm like, oh, I mean, but how do you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't so know I, until you put it yeah. in front of them and exactly. give them to, to see something new or different and, and decide, oh, I'm excited by that. I want to know more. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely another thing is to kind of always look inward because I can only control myself. I can have conversations, but people could leave the conversation and kind of disregard me or not think that my my heart is important. But what can I notice about myself? I can always be like, hey, why did I think that? Or why did I assume that about that certain person mm-hmm. in general? And then that can always just make me better so that the people that I interact with will have positive experiences. But yeah, definitely checking myself and checking my my anti-racist thoughts or anti-anything and just continuing to check myself and to become like better and then just having conversations with people that I trust and that know my heart and know the reason why I think certain things. How do you think Toronto is doing in, in our art scene? Are we diverse enough? Is there room for improvement? Yeah, definitely room for improvement. Always, always, always. Yeah, I think there's just room for improvement. And I and, and also it's it's also been interesting when people have asked me my opinions and because I'm still pretty new, like I'm still learning so much. You know, most times I'm doing a thing, it's the first time I'm doing it. Or if I'm working with a company, it's like the first time I'm working with them. So learning the culture, a company is like its own culture, right? So it's yes. like own city. Absolutely. So I'm still learning so, so, so much. So I don't know if I can give like a full answer, but I think that everyone can do better and that we can always like learn. And at least with the companies that I've had conversations with, they seem to be continuously trying to have conversations, do research on how they can grow and do better. Like I know Against the Grain is always doing that. Yes, we can always do better until the day that we all die. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yes. And we can all learn from you on that. (laughs) How hard you work. You are one of CBC Music's hot 30 under 30. That's crazy. It's nice that that yeah. we're, you know that you've been recognized as an artist and noted as one to watch. And I'm yeah. watching. I've been watching you for a while. <laughs> as a singer, where have you set your sights next? Oh man. First of all, with the CBC recognition, I remember when the first time I saw that on Facebook or somewhere I was like cool and like that's <laughs> cool to be on there and I feel like you know I always kind of like throw up ideas in the atmosphere to like to God I'm like that'd be kind of cool yeah. and just kind of leave it so then when I got like the email I was like whoa 
this is crazy. <laughs> it's, it's such an honor. And, and I still kind of going into that. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I do deserve to be on that list and just being so grateful and just, yeah, being grateful. <laughs> you absolutely do deserve it. And I just was curious where you've set your sights next as a singer. Um, where's, I mean, where do we look? But for me up, <laughs> uh, always, up. Um, always forward. Always up. That's what in an article that I was doing with Opera Canada and they asked what's next or that type of thing. And there are some things that are like potentially, but we never know with COVID and that's just life. Really? We never really know. Even if the COVID-19 thing never happened, we still never had any certainty, but my focus is my faith, my family and my community. And that's definitely going to be my focus. And I, I definitely hope to continue singing in the, maybe the way that we're used to in venues and, you know, mm. hopefully houses, plural, please, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, one day. But I think I know my faith is not going anywhere. So I know I can count on that. And then my family, like my family loves me. I love my family and then my community. So I'm grateful that I'm able to work with Opera and Reach with that. And I think those things will bring me a lot of joy as other opportunities may or may not come across in my life and yeah that's what I'm looking to next because I think that no matter where I go and thankfully as of now like hopefully nothing more with COVID happens to Vancouver which will be very exciting to work with their company and kind of a you know innovative new way of navigating through their transition out of COVID so that's a big exciting opportunity and just even like speaking of my experience as like a, a a black opera singer when I was like in my undergrad and was like learning about like, you know, the Canadian Opera Company or like Vancouver or all these places. I was like, whoa, like this would be something really cool to do. Right. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Can I do it? And I was like, oh, there, there seems to be like no black opera singers. <laughs> like I knew about Misha Burger gosman yeah, yeah. which like I knew about before I knew about Leontine Price, Jesse Norman, Kathleen Battle. Like I knew nothing, <laughs> but I, but I like knew that I knew Misha was a Canadian black opera singer. I was like, Whoa, like cool. You know? And I was just like, I was wondering like, I didn't know black Canadian opera singers. You know, I really like was like, there's nobody that I see, but now I'm learning that of course there are so many that are probably spread across the world. But I always thought, wow, it'd be cool to do that. But I'm like, I don't really see anyone like me doing anything I wonder who that one person will be maybe I have to be the one but I know that I'm not alone now that I've like learned about so many other Canadian black women and men who are doing very well in their careers or just doing what they want to do well and Misha is a force of nature she is definitely somebody to inspire us and yeah. uh, I mean, I've been brought to tears by her oh, yeah. a single performance. Yes. <laughs> and Kathleen Battle is somebody that has always been my absolute idol. She is oh, the so one beautiful. pristine, perfect voice that I aspire to be. Yeah. Listening to her, I'm just always like, whoa. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. So, do you have a secret role that you really would love to sing one day? Are you working on that behind the scenes? <laughs> I don't have a secret role, honestly. <laughs> Actually, when I was at Glenn Gould School, they would always have in the library, which is my favorite place, they have all these opera scores that they're getting rid of that they would sell for like a dollar or two dollars. Oh. And I was just racking it up. I have some Verity scores and some Puccini scores. Those are really cool. Like I'm not seeing them tomorrow. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think anything maybe that is like Puccini or Verdi, I think would be really cool. I just love them. I, at the beginning of COVID-19 and the shutdown, mm-hmm. I was watching one of like the Met live productions in Trovatore. And I was just like, whoa, <laughs> I've never seen the whole thing. I've just never had the opportunity to see the whole thing live. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and, and Anna, Anna Natrepko was singing and I was just like, oh. now that I have an understanding of singing and the technique and focus it takes, I'm like, oh my gosh, this would be so hard. <sighs> that was beautiful. So isn't, isn't it exciting when uh, you've already been in the opera world for five, six years now working really hard, but something like that can still blow you away. Oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely. Or like Traviata. I remember I was watching another Met broadcast and I was like, oh my gosh, if this is what falling in love is, I don't want to be in love. (laughs) Oh, so beautiful. The acting was just breathtaking. I'm crying in my kitchen. I just can't. I'm a crybaby. I always cry. Even at my girl's wedding when Miriam was singing Porgia Moore and Dove Sono, I was just in tears. I mean, Miriam's an amazing singer. So that definitely helps. It still makes me cry so much. When Mimi dies, when I was practicing, I'm crying. I'm singing an A flat, but I'm crying. <laughs> like just the same note when she dies. But yeah, I think that's so exciting. So anything Puccini or Verdi, I think is like amazing. But nothing I'm working on secretly. Like Okay. No. <laughs> okay. I just thought maybe you might share with us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm slowly learning Come Scolio, but yeah. Um, but other than that, those are things that I would like love to like isn't that the aria? isn't that the aria where they they said that Mozart composed it to oh, yeah. <laughs> really give the soprano a hard time oh yeah and <laughs> I, you definitely see it when you're learning it <laughs> like it's relentless it's <laughs> relentless well shout out to all the singers who sing that like queens well that is so exciting that opera still turns you on you know that there there's so much more to discover it'll be a lifetime of oh yeah discovering new things and seeing scores that you want to try i've oh. always said so much music so little time oh yeah jeez <laughs> I just hope that you don't use opera as a way to guide your love life because it's always so crazy. You don't want to, you don't want to follow that route. So, you know, sing it, but don't live it. Don't live it. No, no. I should still fall in love, but I literally, that's the thought I had when she's dying and he leaves her. I was just like, if this is what falling in love is like, I don't want to do it. (laughs) You know, you've chosen a recording to share with us today. Could you please tell us about this piece of music and why you chose it? For sure. So over the last month and a half, I guess since the end of June, I've had the opportunity to work with this company called Jami. And they are a company in the Esplanade area near the St. Lawrence Market. Mm-hmm. And their their mission is to literally serve their community and bring them art in a diverse form. And so one of their projects was called The Wind Stories. And they took pictures of people in that community and people in the community made portraits, like multi-layered portraits. And the next step of the project was Isorin, which is like the artistic director. She hired in artists from a wide variety of forms. And we came together maybe like two days before the performance. We picked a portrait that spoke to us and we collaborated to compose a song or a piece or what, however you want to call it. And the piece that 
in this recording, I, I'm collaborating with Sue Crow Eagle, who is an indigenous singer and drummer. And um, when we looked at this picture, Sue was like, this reminds me of Grace. Like this woman looks like she has, you know, just Grace. And it told us her story about every child she meets, she loves, like it's her own child. And so wow. she remembered like an, an indigenous song. And she's like, why don't you try singing Amazing Grace to the, the melody of the indigenous song? So we just tried out a whole bunch of different things. And we came up with this kind of collaboration I thought it was really special. I, it, it was initially kind of scary to to do this project because I'm not a composer. I just sing, give me the music, I'll go away and I'll learn it and I'll come back, <laughs> you know. So, but it was very collaborative and it was just no pressure. You do whatever you feel like you need to do. So that's what the piece is. I guess it's called Grace. We didn't really give it a name. I'm singing some pieces of Amazing Grace and then I'm also taking key words from the translation of the Indigenous song. So yeah, that's what that is. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. I can't yeah. wait to share it with our listeners. And I have to commend you on bringing something forward that isn't just an, a worn out old standard. You're bringing <laughs> us something unique and new and exciting and fresh. And that's what I think you are. I'm, I'm so Thank very you. inspired by you. Thank you. That's so kind. <laughs> Well, thank you, Yanel, for joining us today on Classical Voice Canada. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I wish you all the best in the future, and I will continue to be watching you as you project yourself forward. <laughs> thank you so much, Kira. Um, so over the last month and a half, I guess since the end of June, so I mean, Miriam's an amazing singer, yeah. so that definitely helps. But yeah, it still makes me cry so much. And like when Mimi dies, when I was practicing, I was like, I'm crying. I'm singing an A flat, but I'm crying. Those are really cool. Like I'm not singing them tomorrow. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but um, like I think I like anything maybe that is like Puccini or Verdi, I think would be really really cool and I I just love them I at the beginning I watched at the beginning of COVID-19 and the shutdown mm. I was watching one of like the Met um live productions in Trovatore and I was just like whoa <laughs> I've never seen the whole thing I've just never had the opportunity to see the whole thing live and I was like wow this is amazing <laughs> and, and Anna Anna Natrepko was singing and I was just like oh that was, I'm like, this would be so, I mean, I, now that I have an understanding of like singing and like the technique and like focus it takes, I'm like, oh my gosh, this would be so hard, but like, that was beautiful. So isn't, isn't it exciting when uh, you've already been in the opera world for five, six years now working really hard, but something like that can still blow you away. Oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely. Or like Traviata. I remember I was watching another Met broadcast and I was like, oh my gosh, if this is what falling in love is, I don't want to be in love. And <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> like, oh, it's so beautiful. And like the acting was just like breathtaking. I'm like crying in my kitchen. I just can't. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a crybaby. I always cry. <laughs> Even at my girl's wedding when Miriam was singing Por Amor and Dove Sono, I was just like in tears. <laughs> so, I mean, Miriam's an amazing singer. Yeah. So that definitely helps. 
But yeah, it still makes me cry so much. And like when Mimi dies, when I was practicing, I was like, I'm crying. I'm singing an A flat, but I'm crying. <laughs> like just the same note when she dies. Um, but yeah, I think that's so exciting. So anything Puccini or Verdi, I think is like amazing, but nothing I'm working on secretly. Like, okay. No. <laughs> okay. I just thought maybe you might share with us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm slowly learning Kome Scolio, but uh, yeah. Um, but other than that, those are things that I would like love to like. Isn't that the aria? Isn't that the aria where they they said that Mozart composed it to oh, yeah. <laughs> really give the soprano a hard time? Oh yeah, and like, you definitely see it when you're learning it. <laughs> like it's relentless. It's relentless. Little shout out to all the singers who sing that, like queens. Well, that is so exciting that opera still turns you on, you know, that there, there's so much more to discover. It'll be a lifetime of oh, yeah. uh, discovering new things and seeing scores that you want to try. I've always said so much music, so little time. Oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I just hope that you don't use opera as a way to guide your love life because it's always so crazy. You don't want to you don't want to follow that. <laughs> so you know sing it but don't live it don't live it no no I should still fall in love but I literally that's the thought I had when she's like dying and he leaves her I was just like if this is what falling in love is like I don't want to do it (laughs) you know know, you've chosen a recording to share with us today could you please tell us about this piece of music and why you chose it for sure. Um, so over the last month and a half, I guess since the end of June, I've had the opportunity to work with this company called Jami. And they are um, a company in the Esplanade area near the St. Lawrence Market. Mm. And their their mission is to literally serve their community and bring them art in a diverse form. And so one of their projects was called The Wind Stories. And um, they took pictures of people in that community and people in the community made like portraits, like multi-layered portraits. And um, the next step of the project was um, Isorin, which is like the artistic director. She hired in artists from a wide variety of forms. And we came together maybe like two days before the performance. We picked a portrait that spoke to us and we collaborated to compose uh, a song or or piece or what, however you want to call it, and um, the piece that then this recording I, I'm collaborating with um, Sue Crow Eagle, who is an Indigenous singer and drummer. And um, when we looked at this picture, Sue was like, "This reminds me of like Grace. Like this woman looks like she has like you know just Grace." And it told us her story about every child she meets, like she loves, like it's her own child, and so. Um, Wow. She remembered like an, an indigenous song and she's like, why don't you like try sing try singing Amazing Grace to the the melody of the indigenous song? So we just tried out a whole bunch of different things and um we came up with this kind of collaboration and um I thought it was really special. I it, it was initially kind of scary to to do this project because I'm like, I'm not a composer. Like I just sing, give me the music, I'll go away and I'll learn it and I'll come back, <laughs> you know. So, but it was very like collaborative and it was just like no pressure. It's like you do whatever you feel like you need to do. Um, so that's what the piece is. I guess it's called Grace. We didn't really give it a name, but um I'm singing some pieces of Amazing Grace, and then I'm also taking key words from the translation of the indigenous song. So yeah, that's what that is. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. I can't yeah. wait to share it with our listeners. And I have to commend you on bringing something forward that isn't just an, a worn out old standard. You know, you're, you're bringing <laughs> us something unique and new and exciting and fresh. And that's what I think you are. I'm, I'm so Thank very you. inspired by you. Thank you. That's so kind. <laughs> listening to soprano Yanelle Sills and indigenous singer and drummer Sue Crow Eagle in their collaboration and composition on the fly of Grace. Thank you for listening to Classical Voice Canada. (laughs) 